keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> Wrestle Roasts on ad-free shows and ATC. Welcome, everyone, to Wrestle Roasts. I'm your host, Robert Karpolis, joined, as always, in crystal clear audio by Scott Chaplin. Scott, how are you? Oh, I'm great, man. I made a really mature decision last night. What was that? I went to sleep before Wrestle Kingdom started. So I'm not good with figuring out what time that actually started. Like, I woke up this morning, and I'm seeing shit on my timeline. What time did it start? Like, we're East Coast. So what time did that show start East Coast, U.S.? Uh, main card was 2.30. Oh, geez. It was, it was a five-hour five and, like, 20-minute show. That's insane. Yeah. Even, like, even by, like, Tony Khan standards, that feels long. Yeah, and you know, I I did half of it was maturity, and then and then some of it was just I wasn't responsible enough to. I did tell myself I was going to set an alarm for around four to catch the last two because the last two hours of Wrestle Kingdom are the best pay per view of every year. So so um, here's so just to set the table for everybody here, what we got today, we we're going to talk uh, World's End. I want to talk a little bit about The Rock coming back. We're going to talk Dynamite or Dud, but like the New Japan pay-per-view, we're recording this on Thursday. It like just ended a couple hours ago. So we may as well open with what feels like a number of noteworthy things coming out of that show. Have you had a chance now fully rested to have watched it? Yeah, so it's two in the afternoon. I started it at 9 a.m. this morning and I finished it like 12 minutes ago. That's good timing on my part. Yeah. I, I, I like picked the time. I'm like, oh, let's do it at two. And apparently, uh, oh, it was perfect. Did uh, now my my and the show was really is, fun, man. Did they did they acknowledge like the 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 changeover in leadership in New Japan? Uh sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched it in English commentary. I know some people think that's a sin. They say first time around, you got to watch it in Japanese commentary. But I, I think the guys who do English commentary are are so – it's like having three Excaliburs, you know? Um, is, was that, was I know that, that sounds a bad. good thing or a bad thing? It's well, somehow this, good. It's, some, so it's somehow it, good. It's not, it's not Kevin Kelly anymore, so who's doing commentary? The guy, uh, Chris Charlton, and okay. then there's a heavy set man with him. And Ro I think Rocky was on commentary too. Oh, Rocky Romero? All right. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I think he was. And, and they just – there is something, maybe it's just specifically Wrestle Kingdom, but the commentary team shows the fuck up. Every wrestler shows up. Like, you know, these clips that we see going around all year, often of like Moxley throwing weak punches or a guy like Suzuki throwing a weak punch, that doesn't happen on the night of Wrestle Kingdom. Um, the boys show up, and it's really, it's just cool to see. It's like, it's just everybody getting an A plus and you go, oh, that's the commentator you are. 
and uh, everybody does their homework. And so the commentators during the matches are, are telling you the story like like they're experts on it, real experts, not not just like someone's plugging in info in their ear on, right. on a point they're trying to get across. It's not like like 2011 Michael Cole or something. Like yeah, it's uh, it's something really cool and special to see. And so because so, of that, there was like five phenomenal matches uh, because of the combo of match commentary and mood. And okay, Tanahashi, yeah, he he, he fought Zack Saber Jr. for the um for the television title. And then Tanahashi wins, which is, you go, Oh, the, the president is, is going to win. But I yeah, think they did that because uh, they thought he wasn't going to do that. And so we'll see where it goes. Tanahashi is the new president. One of the reasons the old president left is because Okada didn't like him. Right. Which feels like Okada might be staying. Okada versus Danielson was, Oh, so good. And, you know, they didn't go too crazy. This was like very much just them roughing each other up. But there were, weren't too many high spots in the match. And it was just unbelievable. Osprey was in a in a, a triple threat match with Moxley and David Finley. Yes. Uh, everybody rolled their eyes at David Finley being in the match. And so they gave you something that, you know, your brain like. It's just Moxley and and Osprey beating up Finley the first four minutes so they could have the singles match we wanted, and then you get this slow build of Finley, you know, deserving to win at the end, and then he does, and then you have Nick Nemeth, Dolph Ziggler, yeah, on the side of the ring because okay, mind you, and this is how they set up Dolph Ziggler. Uh, during the tag match, uh, like two matches before this match, Gorilla's a uh, Destiny match. Yes, yes, yes. Wait, no, was it? No, no, no. There wasn't a Gorillas of Destiny match. Um, and that's according another to, interesting thing. So, uh, hold on. So, so according to the hold on. So, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and it says it was Gorillas of Destiny. It was Hikaleo and El Fantasmo, uh, no. beating uh, Bishamon. Yeah, so I don't consider Hikaleo and El Fantasmo. Okay, well, it, it, I'm going by the the fine. Fo- so, just but yeah, you, I, I guess they the, are Gorillas the of Destiny because there's a number of different points I wanted to get to here. So, before we even get to that. So Tamatanga beats Shingo Takagi and then says, hey, guys, I'm going to be out of here with my contract's done. I'm moving back to the U.S. Like, peace. Were you surprised yeah, that he won? The presser. Yeah. And, like, and Tama had an awesome match with Shingo. Um, and, yeah, he's got the never open weight title. I mean, it, he's a dude I want to see as part of Bloodline. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, he he's belonged there for a while, uh, him and his brother. Um, 100%. And, and, you know, if the Usos were still a team, like, my God, G.O.D. versus the Usos is is, is a dream and just makes total sense. Um, yeah, man, there was just so and, – and another thing about watching Wrestle Kingdom is it's a moment where the match result as, like, a, a wrestling nerd, um, you get to start going, oh, is this person leaving? And, you know, right. it used to be, oh, is, is this person leaving and going to WWE? Because, you know, New Japan contracts seem to always run up in January. Um, so, yeah, Tama winning, you go, oh, he's staying. And then to find out, oh, no, wait, maybe there's a relationship. And he's actually leaving and keeping a title. Um, Okada, right, he beats Danielson. So there's that piece of you that's like, oh, he's staying in New Japan, even though we've been thinking he might be going to WWE. 
But then, I mean, if you want, if you want to get picky and, and watch the match right before he hits the rainmaker, he hits an F. Uh, he hits an FU. Is that what Cena's moves called? An FU, yeah. right? They still call it the FU. The AA. They call it the AA. But yeah. Oh yeah, they changed it. I knew they changed it. I mean, it's a fireman's carry, you know, and and you and you drop a guy, but he does it. And so, if you want to, it's the last move he does before his finisher, before pinning. You know, so if guys are pulling out the Styles Clash and people freak out. To AJ references, that could be interpreted as a Cena reference. Are we getting Okada versus Cena? It, like you know, you just uh, there were so many cool moments uh, it, it, tonight that were like, oh wow, the wrestling world is kind of. So I got, I got I got a couple questions for you here. Uh, as the as the non Scott's New Japan Corner guy, Dave Finley beats Osprey and Moxley to win the IWGP Global Heavyweight Championship. What the fuck is that title? Because there's the IWGP World Heavyweight title that uh, Naito won over Sonata. So, I mean, what is the IWGP global title supposed to be? Yeah, so there was the United – so there was the Intercontinental title, right? And then they right. introduced the United States title, and both of those existed at the same time for a while. Then they got rid of the IWGP Intercontinental, and they had this U.S. title that was – um you know, the title Osprey was holding. Then didn't Osprey rename it? Yes, exactly. The United Kingdom title, all this stuff, right? Uh, Finley uh, breaks that title like a month or two ago. Um, blah, 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 blah. They say, we're going to introduce this new global title. So, you know, Osprey even walks out with the U.S. title and lays it down, kind of representing the end of that. And now we have this global title which feels like, and I was so irritated when they announced it like a month ago, because it felt like exactly what that what I thought we were getting with the Continental Classic, which was this title that was, you know, also New Japan's title and would be defended. Um, this global no, they, they just needed an excuse like something to, that Scott, they needed an excuse to strap three belts together to fit around Eddie's waist. <laughs> yeah and then you know it does seem like ziggler is the first uh person to be going after it yeah i saw his his press conference thing where he attacks yeah. finley and then it's it's because it's Dolph. He always has to, it always has to seem funny even though it's not whereas like i don't even i'm not even in this company i don't even know what this belt is and i want this belt and this is the most important thing in the world to me it was just no, goofy. it was awesome. And also the setup, you know, it 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 uh it didn't like insult our intelligence. Like, wait, what is Dolph Ziggler doing here sitting here? Um, him and his brother came out before the tag match. So it's like, oh shit, he's here. Him and his brother, you know, the Nemec brothers are here to scope out the tag scene, which was kind of interesting. And then you get this even further push of like, oh shit, Nick Nemeth has a singles guy, which we all know how he sells. Um, so yeah, in New Japan, you'd think he'd be a perfect fit. It's cool because I feel like Dolph's the kind of guy who he's he's so fucking over wrestling that he's not gonna show up somewhere unless he wants to. He's made a shitload of money in WWE. He's not married, doesn't have a kid. Like he I'm sure his bank account is pretty well lined. So he's only showing up in New Japan because he's like, This is what I wanna do, as opposed to fuck, I gotta keep the lights on. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No, it's a really uh, a very cool decision by him. And the right decision, too, I think. Like, 
you know, I, everyone was kind of wondering where all these guys that were recently released were going to end up. And this seems like one of the wisest decisions. The last thing that struck me as weird about this show, and I mean, it's cool that you had Moxley on there and Danielson got to wrestle in New Japan, which I'm sure was, you know, something he was thrilled about getting a chance to go back and do. Number one, it's rough because this is going on at the same time that there's dynamite coming off of a pay-per-view. So you're losing Danielson, you're losing Moxley for this show. The other thing that was weird was there was like a some kind of battle royal or something. And it struck me as odd that like Jeff Cobb is just a guy in a battle royal. Oh, yeah, man. And I mean, look, if you're a New Japan fan, I, I guess I will say this. Most years they do this battle royal and it very much feels like a bunch of guys being thrown into a, a battle royal. They have so much actual in-ring talent like a Jeff Cobb uh, that this match was actually stacked. So I, I know, you know, you might look at the list and go, oh, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, all I recognize is Jeff Cobb. But I was I, I do think Jeff Cobb belongs in a better spot for sure. But this shit was stacked like there was like 12 guys that shouldn't have been in this match. And so it actually felt maybe not important, but I enjoyed watching it because they were all stars like Taiji Shimori was in it. It was actually every time someone came out, I was like, oh, fuck, thank God they got them on the card. Because I was kind of underwhelmed with the lineup because um, I do like guys like Taiji Shimori and Jeff Cobb. But it just turns out that every match uh, was unbelievable. I think right now I'm just waiting until Cobb and Riddle reunite. I want to see a Chosen Bros reunion in 2024. Man, so so much talent like that. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, that was That was, you know, sort of the default opening with Scott's New Japan Corner. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom last year produced, I know, your match of the year. Uh, if you didn't hear our, our end of the year, like three hour behemoth episode last week with with Mike and Dan, go back and listen to it uh, in the archives. We didn't we didn't put that behind a Patreon paywall for that show. We're just like, fuck it. Put it up for everybody. Did the roast of Vince McMahon end of the year recap. It was a good time. Uh, here we are now. Talking AEW World's End. Which, did you watch this show live? No. This is the first AEW pay-per-view I watched live, possibly ever. Usually I watch it the next day through Scott Chaplin, Perfectly Legal Means. Uh, but <laughs> a, a buddy of mine was is was in town, and he's like, hey, I'm ordering the show. Why don't you come over? Why don't you watch it? And... You know, if if you've been following whatever is going on, on on social media, my rumor and innuendo co-host uh, Nick Hausman caused a little bit of a, a kerfuffle with uh, his his war with Chris Jericho. Uh, not going to get into that here, but it does sort of bleed into the show itself. But I was already intrigued to watch World's End because we didn't get a chance to get into the predictions last week, but my guess was going to be we're going to see Max lose. We're going to see him go away for a while. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what we got and we'll, we'll get to it, but we'll go through the, uh, the card here. I did not watch the pre-show. So, I mean, all due respect to hook and Wheeler Yuta. I'm sure it was a fantastic FTW title match, but didn't see it. Uh, Blackpool combat club 
Claudio Castagnoli and Brian Danielson teamed up with Mark Briscoe and Daniel Garcia to beat Jay Lethal, Brody King, Jay White, and Roosh in the, hey, we were all in the Continental Classic and we don't have anything else to do, eight-man tag. <laughs> this is uh, bringing up New Japan again and the G1. This is something they do for the uh, G1 final card, you know? Yeah. Uh, they have guys that were in the G1 fight in a four on four or whatever it may be uh so i liked this a lot i mean the only reason i didn't like it is i was every time you know again danielson didn't wrestle okada at this point and i'm like dude you you should be on a flight not possibly hurting yourself but that was just me being nervous about a guy so that was the thing that struck me is the strangest like we don't know how much time left we're really going to get with Brian Danielson. He supposedly said in 2024, he's going to wind down his full-time active career. And it just struck me as odd that there wasn't any place you could put Brian into a more prominent match on a pay-per-view than in a kind of meaningless eight-man tag opening match. Or am I just being yeah, too harsh? It, you're uh no, no. In a way, you're you're completely right. Um, he is on limited time, and you ain't wrong. I, I mean, I didn't notice that until you said it. I noticed it about someone else on this card, and when I noticed it, I got mad. Yeah, no, we'll 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 get there. Um, but as far as an opening match, yeah, it was fine. Everybody was just we're gonna hit a bunch of spots. We're gonna continue to tell the story that Jay Lethal is disappointed in in his showing. Uh, it was getting behind Daniel Garcia, which we saw paid off a little bit on Dynamite. It was a fine, like you said, Tony aping the New Japan playbook of the guys who didn't advance in the tournament, just getting an opportunity on a show. For me, it was a little tough, again, watching this thing live. It just makes the pay-per-view, pay-per-view feel that much longer. It was a match that I didn't expect to have, didn't necessarily need to see and push this show to four hours when it really didn't need to be four hours. Yeah. Uh, I've learned to watch um, any pay-per-view I watch live. I kind of that first hour and a half, I, I will make dinner while watching it. I, I use it as prep. Like the UFC has kind of taught me to do that where kind of lollygag for an hour or two. And then the show gets good. I think that would, irk me um (laughs) like don't it's good for me because i'm adhd out the ass and and i'm never ready on time and so it's like oh great i could do this this and this i'm still watching i'm still retaining but i'm not upset at the um the fact that you know we're i'm comfy and cozy now you know what it is usually because when i'm watching wwe pay-per-views i'm live tweeting them so like my my ADHD fidgety whatever brain fun. is directed yeah. someplace else. It's you know, you know I'm, you I'm know making you, fun of the show. You know, <laughs> you know a great way to watch New Japan? Uh driving on the highway at six in the morning. <laughs> that sounds super safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is like I just, got into New yeah. Japan. <laughs> yeah, you've said that before. Like it was because it was the only thing that was on at the time. Yeah, I would have to wake up for work at four thirty in the morning and it's like all right, well, there's no cars on the road, so I guess I can watch television. <laughs> so honestly, as a kid, that's part of how I got into WCW because the one of the WCW syndicated shows used to air 
on like Saturday or Sunday mornings at like 6 a.m. And when you're like a little kid, you get up at 6 a.m. Like you don't realize like, oh, I could sleep in. And it's before cartoons started. Cartoons didn't start till eight. So you put it on and it was like, all right, there's pro wrestling on. I like WWF. I may as well watch WCW. And this is like 1990, 91 WCW. And it's how I kind of got at least acclimated to what the hell they were doing. But yeah. you're like, well, on one channel, I got Hulk Hogan. But on this show, I got Van Hammer. Uh, yeah, I can I mean, tell the think difference. About, think about ECW and how late that used to air. That that was like the Adult Swim uh, spot before the Adult Swim spot. You know, it's like people who were high, people who were just getting back from a party. Um, they turn on the TV and they see something crazier than they're used to seeing. I used to record it because it used to air on the Sunshine Channel, which was like the Florida sports channel that you would get like heat games on or something. And you would get ECW and it was like like Friday at like one o'clock in the morning or something like that. And it felt like, are we really allowed to watch this? Are we supposed <laughs> yeah, to be watching yeah, exactly. this? And, like kids don't understand. Am I a criminal? Like you might not even remember this, but on E, they used to air – Howard Stern at night they would do like a half hour best of of that day's show and it was like the video feed like and it was the craziest thing when you're watching this as like a high school kid you know and you're seeing all the ridiculous shit going on there like yeah, what time would that my father would watch that late at night on E yeah that'd be like 11 that'd be like 11 o'clock at night yeah they would It'd do a like, recap yeah and then later on you'd get ECW so it used to be this concept of like late night TV was forbidden and somehow like more taboo and it worked for ecw programming yep uh we got miro beating andrade because andrade is coming home to wwe uh he decided rather than babysitting his father-in-law he'll just go hang out with his wife the match was fine but it it felt a lot in my opinion like two guys auditioning for hunter yeah, it's the unfortunate part of this match is you know the guy who wins also doesn't really want to be there. Right. I'm glad CJ was was healthy enough to be there. She was battling that weird like finger infection that got into her body. It could have been really disastrous for her. And I guess she sort of helps Miro win. So, you know, are they going to reunite? We'll see. And then they followed up with it on Dynamite by not at all following up with it on Dynamite. So you really felt good about tuning in and watching this pay-per-view. Well, yeah, it's like uh, these collision guys, it is really becoming frustrating because uh, I'm, I'm not watching collision in like, you know, I'm watching it quickly and in clips or if if the internet is going crazy about it. You know, I'll like really focus, but um, the, the fact that FTR is on there, Malachi's on there, it, it's such horseshit. It feels like punishment and it shouldn't. And, uh, and maybe it's not, it is a, a show they have and what can you do? But damn. It does feel like purgatory because it feels like person, you feel bad for the guy. Do, uh, like, you you watch these guys take bumps on the show and you just go, Oh, fuck you, Tony. Like, and again, there's still crowds and it's still on TV and it's still a giant audience. But you know, these guys risk their lives the way they the way they wrestle. Just wrestling, period. It's a it's a very physical thing. And the fact that you have one show that way more people are watching 
um, you should be sharing the talent on both shows. So if they are risking their life on Collision, they are also getting love on Dynamite. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, use them on Collision. Also use them on Dynamite. Break up this, um, this like what feels like a SmackDown Raw draft. You know, the thing is, they never had an official draft. It's not like they said you are a Collision talent, you are a Dynamite talent. They had to do that because you couldn't let Punk and Kenny and the Bucks be in the same room at the same time. So they, by default, kind of created this double roster situation, but it was never officially codified. It's not like they went out there and said, you're going to be on show A, you're going to be on show B, and it people just disappear. Because yeah, I wouldn't expect to tune into to Raw and see Roman Reigns. I wouldn't expect to tune into SmackDown and see Seth Rollins. Like you're con- You've conditioned your audience. If I don't see FTR on Dynamite, I kind of forget that they exist. Yeah, no. Um, and I, yeah, Tony needs more than anything in 2024. And I loved Dynamite last night, but do that, break apart that separation. Like maybe the businessman in him, and this is such a bad business idea, is that, oh, if they are exclusive to that show, it is the only way people will be able to see them. Therefore, they must tune into this. And it's like, well, we're not. And so please put them on dynamite because I love these fucking guys. Right. The only reason people were tuning into collision was they wanted to see punk. And even that wasn't ultimately the big enough draw because it was like, well, I want to see punk, but I don't want to see him wrestle Ricky Starks 11 weeks in a row. So it's, it's yeah, really at, difficult. At the end of the day, you got a Saturday night show and we are adult human beings who live on planet earth. And Saturday is not sit down and watch. Look, sit down and watch pay-per-view, sure. It's not sit down and watch standard television. It's just not. Even to watch pay-per-views is more challenged. I've missed it is, yeah. more live pay-per-views this year than I probably have at any point in time of being a wrestling fan since I had the ability to even watch pay-per-views. Because they're Saturday, not Sunday. I usually have shit going on. And it's very tough to tell my wife, like, all due respect to Dan, I can't tell my wife and be like, yeah, we're, we're going to have to cancel our dinner plans tonight because it's, uh, you know, no mercy pay-per-view. <laughs> Next up, Timeless Tony Storm beat Riho. I didn't give a shit about this feud going into it because Riho is literally the, like, the in case of emergency, break glass. They bring her out, and then she just goes away again. The match was, it was just there. Didn't I wasn't super interested, didn't at all think that Riho was going to win. And sure enough, now she's gone back into whatever weird 11-year-old anime girl world she lives in. Robert. Any, 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 well, so tell me why I'm wrong. Well, she's very uh, uh, talented, you know, and that's just what she looks like, you know. Some people look like they're 11, you know. Um, yes. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, no, I was not crazy about this match uh, at all. You know, the whole time I was sitting there thinking about the idea that Sasha Banks is um, possibly going there. Yeah, and we and we got a little bit more payoff in the women's division on on Dynamite, which we'll we'll get to the next thing. All right, Tony, I know I know you're mad at me. 
because of of my association with other people. Uh, Storm? No, Tony Tony Khan. Um, Swerve Strickland is a very much once in a generation kind of talent. He is a dude who can do insane things in the ring. Shawn Michaels heralded him as basically like one of the next Shawn Michaels. Hunter wanted to put the entirety of the company behind this guy. He is a crossover star in the hip-hop world. He has improved his promo game significantly. Coming out of that Continental Classic tournament, he was probably the most over guy imaginable. You book a match with him and Keith Lee. Keith Lee announces that he is hurt and cannot compete. You replace him with Dustin Rhodes, who has not been a viable competitor on your TV probably since the minute Cody beat him in that one classic match that they had. You have Swerve destroy his ankle with a cinder block, essentially breaking his leg. And then you do a competitive 10-minute match with Swerve Strickland and Dustin Rhodes. This shit isn't that hard, Tony. What the fuck are you doing, dude? You had the out. You had the moment. Just do what's logical. You don't have to give Dustin Rhodes a 10-minute back-and-forth match after you smash his leg with a cinder block. What, what would you, uh, what would you uh, suggest? You do the cinder block spot, and that's fucking it. Yeah, I was thinking about it because obviously it's not the Keith Lee thing is weird because he posted a tweet at like six thirty. Yeah, saying I need to be transparent with everyone. I've been hurt, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to fight tonight. And it's like, no, you weren't transparent with us. Uh, you know, we're out to dinner, and you just said you don't have money to pay for it. You know, <laughs> we're here, pal. Uh, so that was odd. So I didn't think it was odd. I'll be honest. I thought his tweet of like, I'm going to do my best. I don't know how, what condition I'm going to be in was him giving him an out. If he lost the match, like it was within storyline. Cause it was so close to start time. I'm like, there's no way that he's going to be that much of a last second game time decision. So this is him saying like, look, I wrestled the match hurt and then swerve sees this. And then swerve takes him out with the cinder block. Like that all made sense in the storyline, but it turns out, no, it was legitimately the big man crying for help, basically saying, Tony, don't make me go out there and do this. Yeah. And there's, there's two ways you could, you could have did this, right? One, the swerve and Keith um, feud is like in our visually, we are, we have not seen it in a long time, right? Like over a year. Yeah. So what you could have did is Keith is hurt and, and we know this and it's real. And he posted this tweet and now it's Keith has to walk out in his clothes and he has to forfeit the match. It's not we're going to find a replacement. It's Swerve demanding that the referee stand there and the company acknowledge that this man has to forfeit. And that after all this time, you guys waited for this match and I won. And this is how I won. And then there's more heat to Swerve and you feel bad for an actually injured Keith Lee. Yeah, I love that. Um, Or... Or you do Dustin because in truth, Dustin has been teaming with Keith Lee on like Rampage and Collision and we just don't know. 
Right. Um, but you take Dustin very seriously because he is a legend in our eyes and we know he can go in the ring and you have like a legitimate stare down. You have us realize in this stare down, oh, wow, this is a match we actually want to see because I think we don't realize that it is a match we would actually want to see. They just needed to remind us, but they didn't get to remind us because they didn't give us an awesome match. They gave us a really dumb angle where he fucking breaks a guy uh, his like ankle, what even what like with a it was cinder his ankle block. with a cinder block, which by and the way is usually a, like a match, the end game. It was just thing. all ass all across. Like the cinder block is one of those things when you're putting a guy on the shelf for like a month, you use the cinder block spot. You don't use it and then have a match because number yeah. one, you, I get why you use Dustin. Dustin is kind of like a mascot. He knows that they know that the crowd's gonna love him. And they were hoping that the crowd was going to boo the shit out of Swerve and cheer Dustin. And that didn't happen because they're so into how dope Swerve is, to steal your word, that they want to just cheer this guy. So they're already kind of like, nah, fuck Dustin. Sorry about your ankle. And then you get this match that the audience doesn't want to see. And all it does is make Swerve seem less special. Just goofy. For sure. Next up was an eight-man tag. Sting, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Chris Jericho against Ricky Starks, Big Bill, Takeshita, and Powerhouse Hobbs. <laughs> so, dude, so I forgot these were back to back, dude. Yeah. So Chris Jericho, who? All right, I, I'm gonna. This is all I'm gonna say for for thirty seconds, and then just fucking whatever. Jericho. We talked about this before. Decides to insert himself into the the brawl out conversation, and be like, "Hey guys, I saw what happened, and I didn't sign an NDA." Yeah, which the lawyer for Punk was like, "You're a fucking idiot. You're under a handbook thing. You are under an NDA." He's like, "I've never signed an NDA ever." And then Hausman's like, "What about the NDAs you made people sign?" And it sounds like Hausman was alluding to Jericho making people sign NDAs for. Things Jericho may or may not have done. I don't know. Jericho blocks him. This yeah. gets so, talked about on my show uh, on, on Rumor and Innuendo. And I was ta- I was praising Jericho at that point in time. I was using MJF's open letter thing where he's like talking about a bunch of different guys. And he's kind of like, all right, the elite, yeah, they're pieces of shit. But they stir stuff up and people get excited about them. And Jericho, good, bad, or indifferent. When he came to AEW, it was the first endorsement of a major star saying, I want to be here. And that was when Nick's like, that may be true, but if things come to light about Jericho that are not flattering, then it will forever mar his his reputation. And this led to somebody on Twitter connecting dots and saying, oh, I think this had to do with some incident that occurred with a, a, a female talent. And then that female talent like posted a heart liking it, basically being like almost like endorsing it or not. It's all fucking kabuki-ish and smoke and mirrors. But these are all the dots that have been connected. And enough people were like, all right, I can put my detective hat on and assume that whatever was being implied involved these people. And the person that was involved in it was kind of like, hey, there might be something there. Nobody admitting anything one way or the other. But the audience in Long Island, saw this, saw that this was trending. Tony saw that this was trending. Rather than have Jericho get hit with a cinder block beforehand, 
they put Chris out there to do Judas. You got half the crowd singing Judas, half the crowd booing the fuck out of Chris Jericho. And he's doing his baby face bullshit during the match. And a lot of the crowd is just booing the fuck out of him and he's mugging for it. They're chanting NDA. They're, they're, they're on his case. And it sucks more than anything else because this is one of the last Sting matches we're going to get. This is Sting's last pay-per-view match before his final match. And this is all anybody was focused on. Yeah, Scott. so before we even get to the Jericho thing, just because you mentioned Sting that last second, I keep forgetting their Sting's last matches until halfway through the fucking match, you know? And so, yes, Jericho ruined this moment for Sting. Um, but also the company has been ruining these moments for Sting because I, I live near this pay-per-view. I could have gone to this pay-per-view, and I didn't. Um, but if... There was a piece of my brain that thought, oh, this is Sting's last match in this area. I will never see him again. Maybe I would have gone. They didn't even make me think that in the slightest. And I remember at the last pay-per-view, they made us not think that to the point where after the match, Darby Allen had to grab the mic and remind the crowd that that was Sting's last match in that area. I believe it was California, right? And so- They're just like dropping the goddamn ball with this sting run in every way. Um, I mean, on the plus side, Flair wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, to, you know, everybody's sting has to face has to be a problem, right? Uh, Next week, he's fighting the Don Callis family. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, when it comes to the Jericho and the Jericho shit, I think, you know, my, my favorite quote of all time is by Bob Dylan. And it is uh, to live outside the law, you must be honest. And, you know, the thing with Dylan lyrics is people can interpret them how they want to. But I think if you're going to be a rebel, you you have to be kind of righteous. You know, you got to morally, you got to be fucking right with with your shit. And um, I think it's a reason a lot of people like CM Punk in many ways on a lot of issues, because he does feel he, he seems to be like right morally often. Yeah, right. Um, and he sticks up for like the small guy, um, or at least that's like the perception. I don't know personally. And that's why people get behind him. Um, and I think when, when you start shutting down people, uh, you, you know, it's one of those, you shouldn't throw stones if you live in a glass house situations where, you know, if, if you, if, if you're going to be righteous, you better be fucking holy. And if you're going to talk shit to people and if you're going to talk on someone's wife and act like what, you know, and what they did was disgusting, well, then, brother, you better not be disgusting. Right. And if and, you are disgusting, and we, look, well, and on this show, fucking known. you look, know what I'm on saying? On this like, show, that's the we, law, dude. we have never made a joke about Jericho or his wife or her whereabouts on January 6th. Ever. <laughs> we are above that. I think the funniest thing was Mike texted the group and he's like, you've done this show for four years with three professional comedians who have roasted every wrestler on the planet and nothing has ever become a problem. You do a legitimate news show for like a month and you almost upend a pay-per-view. So, so wild, so wild. So fucking goofy. The strangest thing about this match on top of everything else is there's a spot where Ricky Starks flicks off Jericho and the crowd pops huge for him when he's supposed to be the shitty heel. 
Maybe don't do that spot. I don't know. Uh, um, no, look, there was everybody in this match at some point uh, became completely defeated. I personally, I thought they should have taken him off the show. I thought the way Tony handled it after was a fail. Oh, we'll and get again, there. I, like, I know everything at this point is just like internet conversation, right? Technically. Um, but I, yeah, I really don't care. Like you, you have a company where like all of your fans are internet wrestling fans. Like we're, we're more internet wrestling fans than we are AEW fans. And so you need to address things properly and you continue to drop the ball with like a very smart fan base. And I, I freely criticized and said how tone deaf and fucking stupid it was when Stephanie went out onto WWE TV to do the thank you Vince thing when he had those allegations against him. I'm like, why the fuck would you ever do that? Yeah, it was um, disgusting. So yeah. It's, this was just, it was weird. And it, again, this wasn't necessary because number one, nobody was buying this pay-per-view for this eight-man tag. And number two... Nobody was buying this pay-per-view for this eight-man tag. Like you didn't, you could have pulled Jericho from this and still done a a six-man, and it would have been totally fine. Nobody was gonna feel like they got cheated out of their money. Nobody was gonna feel upset. And you would have kicked the can down the road and sorted stuff out. And it's unfortunate because at this point in the show, you had that eight-man tag at the beginning, people seemed to like. The Miro-Andrade match, which was a bummer because you knew it was going to happen. The Tony Storm-Riho match, which was just kind of there. That swerve Dustin Rhodes shit that the crowd was confused about. Then this eight-man tag that was uncomfortable. But don't worry, Scott, because you know what the next match was? I forget. Julia Hart and Abaddon. <laughs> oh, no. And because it's a house rules match, Abaddon can make a rule change. And you know what her stipulation was? Biting is legal. So <laughs> Ace Steel could have been the agent for this match. But uh, look, at the end of the day, uh, this match bit hard. This yeah, was also, like dudes be biting each other in matches in AEW. Yeah. You know, like people, people bite each other and bleed all over themselves all the like fucking one time. of Moxley's moves. It's like probably in the game. Like Moxley gets to bite a guy. That's one of his five moves. Probably. We said before this was goofy because Abaddon is not a great wrestler. She's not really on TV all that often. And you have Willow Nightingale, who's literally from Long Island, who would have been like the hometown baby face. And you don't give him that match. You give him this. This was, I, I don't know. I thought this was goofy and dumb. Uh, yeah. No, you ain't wrong. The next match this is the condemnation on this on this whole show. And again, I think this was a, a Mike thing that he pointed out. Two 50-year-old men had the best match on an AEW pay-per-view, which was Christian Cage against Adam Copeland for the TNT title. Uh, Copeland came out wearing his edge gear from when he wrestled Foley. They used a bunch of weapons. They used ladders. They brawled through the crowd. Uh, Copeland jumped off of, of one of the balconies. Uh, there was a flaming table spot where Nick Wayne apparently is flame retardant and just bounced off that. Like he just missed the table entirely. Uh, and in the end, 
Adam Copeland defeats Christian Cage, wins the TNT title, and then Killswitch cashes in his title opportunity, gives it to Christian, and then Christian wins back the TNT title. This was WWE in like the best way possible. So you know I love this. Wow, you uh, did love it. Oh, did I love this? Yes. This was goofy sports entertainment. This was ridiculous spectacle. It was old men beating the fuck out of each other. Uh, and it felt like it was out of continuity of everything else going on on this show. That, that thing you said is definitely true. And, and, and I did have a lot of fun with it. I guess I just didn't like that uh, Luchasaurus kill switch won that opportunity earlier in the night at zero hour when I didn't even really like piece in that that would be a thing. And so I didn't get it immediately. And, and, you know, again, it feels like they just decided that before they even announced the zero hour match. Yeah. Um. So, it so just, I'll be honest. I had no clue to bet the battle Royal. And I was, I was I asked one of the guys that was watching this. I'm like, you know, where's, where's kill switch. And they go, Oh, he won a battle Royal or earlier in the night. I was like, why would they put him in a battle royal? And I look, I'm like, oh, you win a title shot. What makes sense is that he would cash in here if Copeland wins. And then sure enough, it's what you got. And then that little moment of like Christian whispering into his ear, showing that he's still controlling him. I'm sure we'll get some payoff where we find out Killswitch has a long lost twin brother and have sure. him be played by Kevin Nash. You know what I just pieced together? This was, um, you know, very much like a a an homage to a few edge moments and even yes. the finishes. Cause he's the first money in the bank. Uh, winner, he's the first guy right? to cash in the money in the bank and cash and, in. And do that. And yeah. win. There you go. Yeah. Amazing. It was, it was dumb the best of what there dumb was in this show. Yeah. It was dumb and fun. And I'm like, I'm okay with this. Um, so the next match, I'm curious on your take on this. So it was Eddie Kingston beating John Moxley. I was not a fan of this match. I thought I was going to love it. I enjoy Eddie Kingston. I like his, you know, I always like him as like this Mick Foley character and him and Moxley have a backstory. So I know they're going to beat the shit out of each other. It just felt like they never found a proper rhythm. And then when they were like in panic mode, they would just default back to just chopping each other over and over again. Hmm. I didn't feel that way. I, I liked it. I, it wasn't my favorite match in the tournament, which should be close to it. And I don't know if it was close to it. I, I don't know that that the triple threat match was really good. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, I enjoyed it enough. But yeah, again, I think at this point I was um, I was very surprised at how the pay-per-view had gone. Well, that brings it to the main event. And the folks in Long Island were surprised at how a lot of this went. I will I will praise AEW. The video package they did for Max's entrance, the whole like a bunch of people on Long Island being like, he's our scumbag. That was awesome. That was very funny. I thought that was really well done. Joe looked like a monster. I was surprised they introduced Adam Cole in the first place as being in Max's corner. Because I'm like, well, how the hell are we going to do this payoff? Because I think everybody was bought in that he was going to wind up being the devil. The finish of this match felt like a huge misstep. 
I get the story. I get the idea that Max is so beaten down with everything that the devil has put him through, all these challengers coming after him, his body is broken, his arm is barely hanging on, that he eventually was going to run out of gas. But doing the, the, you know, dropping the arm three times, on that third drop, it felt in the arena like when Brock beat Taker, where it just went quiet. But then the crowd just started chanting bullshit. And even Max's expression was kind of like, yeah, this this feels like bullshit. Th- this didn't hit well for me. Before we even get to the devil stuff, what did you think of that? Uh, so, yeah, one, obviously disappointed in the match because I, I didn't know what they were going to do in, in the first place. I thought there was a few highlights. Uh, Max took some bumps that I was shocked about. Oh, yeah. He but, took bumps like a guy going on break. Wow. I mean, they were, you know, it it felt like, again, like a segment that the bumps in the segment, Max knew he really had to deliver because it didn't feel like much of a match. It felt like a like a murder, uh, <laughs> which is sometimes fine. It's just you got to remember this is his hometown and they love this guy. He's in the main event of a pay-per-view that they paid for. And you didn't really give him a match. And not only did you not really give him a match, it's the longest reigning uh, AEW champion, you know, up up until this point. And the way they ended the match was like so uneventful that there's no feeling of an acknowledgement of of a title reign that existed, you know? Yeah. And then you just go right into a to a segment, um, which, yeah, it's really important. And, and I'm sure they'll do it with Roman. But there's this thing about like, OK, let's say Cody beats Roman eventually. Right. You have to have a moment where you celebrate how big Cody's victory is because he's the guy right now. But you also have to acknowledge uh, Roman's reign somehow. And it's like hard to do. I get it. But you do have to do it. Uh, I remember when Omega beat Okada, Okada had like this long ass, beautiful title reign. You know, it was unbelievable. Nobody could beat Okada. Um, Omega wins and his story is he never got the title. And so they're focusing on Omega. But then they have this moment where they cut to um, one of Okada's dollars that, you know, pour down from the sky when he enters. And they just like focus that on that as the closing shot, you know, and it's like a reign has come to an end. And it's like, oh, wow, these two things existed at the same time. Anyway, I say all of that to say MJF is the longest reigning uh, AEW world champion. And when I think of AEW world champion, MJF is not the guy that pops in my head. Unfortunately, that is the company's fault. And uh, this match, this angle, the injury, nothing did it any favors. Yeah. It, it's yeah. you hit the nail on the head. It felt like Joe won and then like grabbed his his title and then just like scampered away. Man, Joe didn't even get to else. celebrate a victory, you know, like, no. damn, that was goofy and weird. So then speaking of goofy and weird, you get the devil henchmen surrounding the ring. They're holding down Cole. They're holding down Max. They got, one of them's got a chair. Max is like, don't hit him. Hit me. Hit me. Hit me. The lights go out. They come back on. And Adam Cole was sitting in the chair with all the henchmen behind him. And then they unmask. And just as we feared, it's Wardlow and the fucking goofs. 
it's uh, Roderick Strong and the Kingdom are are revealed to be there with Adam Cole, uh, the the little devil himself. And the thing that struck me as the oddest is you didn't even get the moment of someone unmasking. Like you have this fucking mask that's at the front and center of it. You don't ever see a guy pulling the mask off to be like, it was me, Austin. It was me all along. Instead, it's Cole. They beat down Max and the show just goes off the air. I was worried about the devil storyline that there wasn't going to be a strong payoff. And based on what I saw at the end of world's end, I kind of felt like I was justified. Um, you know, in a way we differ because <laughs> I just thought this was the only logical way. It and was. So I was happy that the camera angles were done. Well, like no, I was looking, they missed it. it. Dude, they no, missed the they really their masks shot off. Of, of Cole staring down at uh you got Matt, no, no, you, you got chair. Cole staring down, but when the guys unmasked, they were on Max and not on them. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Um, again, I think it's like it's the only real realistic options. Um, I will say I don't think Wardlow should be in it. Uh and yeah, Dynamite definitely proves that Wardlow shouldn't be in it. But oh, we'll, other we'll than get that, to Dynamite. Like, man, that's all they could have did. So that's what they did. I, I was fine with that. I don't know. It, it was it was the reveal that we were just like, all right, it's going to be lesser than what we hoped. I think there was a, there was a group of people for a long time thought it was going to be Punk. Then people thought it was going to be Jack Perry. People thought maybe it was going to be like Dolph Ziggler or or. Mustafa Ali or one of the guys that got released by WWE. Some people started thinking it was going to be Mercedes Monet, that she was going to be the devil. And instead it was like the most logical choice. So you're like, all right, that's, uh, it, it is what it is. Max is now no longer listed on the talent roster page. He's not, he was obviously not part of dynamite. Supposedly he's going to be gone for a while. He's playing up the whole, I'm not under a contract thing. So uh, we'll we'll see on your Scotty Meltzer flaming bowling pin uh, rating system. What would you give this show? Wow, this might be my least favorite AEW uh, pay per view. Totally fair. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I like a lot of the talent on it. I, I enjoyed enough parts of it, but I I did not enjoy it much. It's at a five, right? Yep. Damn, 2.75? Uh, I'm going to go two just because it's, it's, it's just it, the first match was good, and then it just kind of goes off a cliff, in my opinion, until you get to that Copeland-Christian match. And then the main event, where the crowd is chanting bullshit, I, I felt terrible for pretty much everybody involved in that situation. Uh, so that that sucked. A uh, little bit of WWE-ness to touch on. This week is kind of their, their big week. They have all their shows branded. So Raw is day one. NXT is New Year's Evil. SmackDown is uh, New Year's Revolution. Um, on Monday, the big takeaway was the return of a former World Heavyweight Champion. At first, Jinder Mahal comes out and starts a xenophobic rant, which was weirdly uncharacteristic of him since that's not been his character at all. Uh, and then he gets interrupted by the rock. So Scott, first of all, what'd you think of seeing the rock back? 
Well, first of all, I was very excited to watch day one. It had like this aura of um, a, like a pay-per-view almost going yep. into it. And I was very excited because I thought I was going to get an Andrade debut. And I thought I would see CM Punk on the same show as either Batista or The Rock. And I thought that was cool. That's a big ass show. And we didn't get Andrade and we didn't get CM Punk. And um, that's not their fault, though, I guess. Right. Even though I think they should have stacked the show a, a little more than they did. Anyway, even though I'm saying that and The Rock showed up and he's the biggest star in the world. Um, OK, so. What's what, what's the guy's name that came out? Why am I forgetting his name? That's so sad. Jinder Mahal. Before the rock. Jinder Mahal. Oh my gosh. Um, he like cut a promo. Here's what I thought was weird about it. It was like kind of like Ali's uh video that he posted a week or two. Yeah. Ago. A little bit. And so I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? And and I and I realize at this point, um, either like Batista or The Rock is coming out. But I I'm like, why are they using him? Like this, this is such a um lame, weird, um, out of nowhere, like random rant on America. So, like, it, it was just truly awful. Made um, no and sense. then The Rock comes out, and I think The Rock is, uh, you know, you go, who's the biggest wrestling star ever? And I will all, I'm like one of those Michael Jordan guys, you know, I'll always go, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, but the truth is the rock is like you go you go to an island that's been untouched by um the modern world and somehow they knew who the rock is, you know? He's so the biggest Epstein, on, so you're saying on Epstein Island they knew the rock. <laughs> yeah. He like truly is the biggest technically star to come out of professional wrestling. Um that does not mean he is the best on the mic and all these things I'm about to say because he comes out and in my opinion uh he says like some of the corniest shit of all time, which yeah. he's been doing for like 15 years at this point. You know, maybe my timeline is a little off, but it feels like between 10 to 15 years of, you know, right. That, that, that was that great John Cena moment where John Cena finally got to be like, dude, you're like fucking, you know, you make fun of me. Like you, he's Barney. I mean, the rock is so cheesy. And you know, that, that CM Punk line of like, you, you, you're on that CM Punk feud with him. Uh, what was that? A Royal Rumble match, right? Yeah. You know, it was The Rock coming back, and and it was like it was like wrestling was updated, and The Rock couldn't match the new version of Mike Skill that CM Punk had, and that's what it feels like every time he's been back since. It's that like you can't match, you can't come in here and have these weird catchphrases and act like you're running for president and like degrade not even talent we're seeing which would be a boost for guys that we see weekly you're like shitting on talent that they randomly bring back just for you to send them back into the shadow world it's like so it it really does you know he brought up the iron sheik it it, it felt like when the iron sheik would come back and you go oh, okay here's a 75 year old um i'm gonna continue this rant a little more before i i compliment him um i think there was obviously he's got some good moments on the mic and people eat it all up. Right. Um, once he started throwing punches, I was like, Oh no, this guy blew up. It looked like De Niro in the Irishman where physically <laughs> he is more intimidating than he's ever looked. The rock looks amazing. His, 
His skin is flawless. He looks AI. He looks fantastic. And then he starts moving and he he moves older than his age should be moving. He moves he was moving the way Hulk Hogan moved when he returned to WWE to fight the rock. Uh maybe worse. And and I, I say this to also say this. Uh, I know he could improve in terms of cardio in the blink of an eye. And I also know that the Rock versus Roman Reigns is bigger than anything wrestling maybe has ever done. And it will be. And the stare down is huge. And that match alone, like, okay, let's get into this conversation because this is the real conversation. Yeah. At the end the of it, the Rock goes, maybe I should do this or maybe i should sit at the head of the table right so so Whatever pause real quick before you, before you get to that scott i just yes, want to reiterate completely agree with you on the takeaway on the rock i thought his promo was flat it felt like he was about to announce he's running for president like it was just yeah, so cheeseball and corny and weird um his physicality definitely looked off and then once everything was over i'm like this felt kind of weird and flat he's like i'm gonna go out after am i gonna sit on the side of the booth or am I going to sit at the head of the table? And it's like, all right, now we're telegraphing. We're going to get him and Roman at some point now. Now, sorry. Now, now you can unpin. Uh, correct. Which is, which is enormous. And it changes the conversation, right? This whole 10 minute rock segment that we're, we're cringing at. And yes, we're always happy to see the rock, but it was cringe becomes real. And it becomes like, Oh man, we're going to get a match action we're gonna get a payoff for something that like dude i mean roman is called the head of the table because they've been wanting this rock feud you know roman is in the position he's in because they've been wanting this rock feud so getting it look here here's what i guess what i'm getting to a lot of people are arguing should it be at wrestlemania or should it be at elimination chamber um should does this mess up Cody's chances? You know, what does this do? Blah, blah, blah. I think this match is so big. You could make your own pay-per-view and call it Roman versus The Rock and watch how crazy it sells. Like, I think the WWE is in a position that they need to think about expanding beyond WrestleMania. Like, yes, WrestleMania is the biggest show. Now let's have let's have eight giant shows, you know? Like, let's have... Let's show that we can sell out arenas in cool, interesting ways, the way boxing did, you know, rumble in the jungle. Like we can sell a show, not just on WrestleMania, but on two names and, and everyone will come. And I think they can do it if they want to do it. And they don't just need to fill out an arena like a elimination chamber, which is already selling out like crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, it's already like going to break an insane record. You can actually, Go. We didn't even announce the arena yet, and 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 it will sell out like crazy. Like they can do anything they want with this. Th that's how much I believe in the moment. I don't believe in the match. I don't believe in the promos getting there. But I think the moment is bigger than anything. Um, and for that, I just have to go. Okay, whatever. Yes, I know this technically stinks, but I know historically you have to let it happen. Yeah, I you think know, they, Obama they know bombed that... weddings. Historically, Obama needed to be president. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but like, you know, it's just like, this is the moment, man. The Rock and Roman needs to happen. It's gonna happen. Um, so yeah, I think this is massive. This is like bigger than anything. And, and I say this as like not a Rock fan. I'm a Stone Cold Steve Austin guy. 
I wish Stone Cold could have a moment like this. And I don't know if he can. And, and so I just got to give The Rock and Roman uh, their credit like this. You know, when, when I make fun of Roman every year and go, how do you not see that it's it's Kenny Omega? When Roman gets his match with The Rock, I go, oh, yeah, it's Roman. You know, all my arguments go out the window. Even though Roman stinks. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know your thoughts on Roman. Yeah. I know your you thoughts know, on stinks. Rock. Like, but he it's does like, at the end of the match... day, when he gets these things, my hands are tied. Dude, this is a match that, like, when all is said and done, this mania could generate a billion dollars. Dude, you could all go, you, don't, you, could, you could say, hey, uh, we're only airing this in movie theaters, and people will go. It's like, it's just a fun, cool moment. They will. That we rarely ever get in entertainment, let alone wrestling. What's, I, look, I feel, I feel bad for Cody because up until Monday night, it felt like Mania 40 was going to be Seth Rollins, CM Punk night one. Cody Roman night two. And those are two insanely strong, well-built matches. You've never seen Punk main event in WrestleMania. You've never seen Seth main event in WrestleMania. That match has a lot of backstory to it, a lot of meat on the bone. Roman and Cody, the rematch, people are like, this is going to be it. This is when Cody's finally going to finish the story. Now it's, Fuck, we we got to see Roman and Rock. And and I gave a hypothetical where if they do this match at Elimination Chamber and you you don't get a clean finish, you get interference, I feel like you would get Rock and Solo at Mania because Rock said the reason he didn't want to do the match at 39 was it was just a match. And he wants to tell a big, broad, epic story. So to me, your big, broad, epic story is Rock faces Roman at Elimination Chamber. Solo costs Rock that that win. You go to Rumble, Solo, who has destroyed John Cena, who has been anointed as the next head of the table, beats The Rock at the same show that Roman loses the title. Now... Who's the head of the table? And now you have a Roman solo story that you can tell for the rest of the year with The Rock having been the reason why this story happened. And I feel like in his mind, that's what sets up the next year of WWE programming. For sure, for sure. I also think they have so many guys. Maybe Cody doesn't need to win the belt for another year. I don't uh, know. I mean, he, maybe, he because technically look, you know, doesn't, but Roman definitely doesn't need the title. We know that, especially for a rock feud. But again, I think the way they're lining shit up for this year, um, I think it's each show is not Raw or SmackDown, but these like premium live events, they're going to feel more special than they've ever felt. Like Money in the Bank, the, the way they're approaching it again this year. Um, yeah, in Canada. Yeah, I just think I, I think each pay per view is 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 they they're gonna try to make us um like this WrestleMania thing again. It's just it's not just WrestleMania. I think they're gonna try to make every show feel just as big, and some shows feel bigger. That should be the goal. Like, how do we get random moments that feel bigger than WrestleMania in September? And I think the way to do it is like you advertise like like Ali matches, you know, like boxing. Like 
It's these guys are main eventing, and you will get an undercard. Well, I mean, that was what they did for Elimination Chamber last year. They did it in Montreal, and it was the chamber matches were secondary. It was Sammy versus Roman. Yeah, uh, yep. the match, the show that I picked as my show of 2023 was the Money in the Bank match last year from London. Not because of the Money in the Bank matches themselves, but because they set up that Bloodline Civil War. Like that was your headliner. It was Roman and Solo versus the Usos. You were telling that story. That was what mattered. It didn't matter that it was happening at Money in the Bank. So yep. I, I and, think and you'll see it this year with the Royal Rumble, um, where yeah. just like you know, look, AEW did all in. And it's it's the coolest thing in the world. And you will get all in once a year. Um, WWE can do that seven times a year, and and I think they're going to try to. Well, if you're a TKO stockholder, you got to hope that's the case. Uh, we're going to do dynamite or dud real quick, then do high spot, low spot. Uh, dynamite. I'll I'll do. Uh, so they open with showing uh, a pre-recorded Joe promo. So we don't even get Joe live on the show, but we get the devil and his crew and they do the cheesy bad guy we're going to explain our plot and it's cole basically saying i had to take out mjf he was a dick for so long the, like the fact that you even boo me you guys are all clowns this gets interrupted by jay white Jay White is like, you guys attacked me. So now him and the guns come out to go attack the devil and his crew. They get outnumbered. Then the acclaim come out and chase everyone out. So there were a number of takeaways here. First, the devil storyline has lost its legs entirely because their nemesis was MJF. The whole reason they existed was to go after MJF. And in one night, they got rid of Max. So they don't really have a direction going forward. So now it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Roderick Strong is going to go after the international title. And I guess Wardlow is going to go after the world title and then give it to me, which is literally Christian's fucking storyline. Yeah. So, you know, we agree that this storyline, I think, went in places it wasn't supposed to. Maybe even Adam Cole wasn't going to be the devil originally. But I think once they realized what it was going to be, um, they also realized that they had like a lot of cleaning up to do. And I think at the end of that pay-per-view, um, what they realized, what they should have realized is the cleanup is in the next promo. Yeah. And, and Adam Cole, for the last few months, whenever he was told he was going to be the devil, he should have been thinking about this promo and the intention and why each guy is doing this. And some of it made sense and some of it didn't. And the problem is all of it really needed to make sense. Cause this, this shit like was, was, uh, you know, they were drowning. Uh, and I think the Wardlow thing especially was like such a bomb and such an obvious, uh, like almost like an admittance of, yeah, we didn't know and still don't know what the fuck we're doing. Um, without that Wardlow thing, I would have been fine with it. I think Roderick strong going after a title is cool. Hold on, but but what was so? This is something that really annoyed the fuck out of me. Roddy gets the microphone and he does the shrieking Adam thing, which is such a baby face, goofy shtick. And my assumption was that Roderick Strong and the Kingdom with the stupid giraffe and whatever were being overly cartoony to throw you off the scent, so you didn't think that they were sinister heels. He doesn't need to be doing the pandering bullshit if they're supposed to be. 
this evil maniacal force. Yeah, I hope he realizes that. I think the rest of the segment, you know, he stood there really mean mugging and yeah. uh, he did look tough. But yeah, he's got to drop the Adam thing. Look, I even uh, Bennett and Taven, I'm, I'm fine with them in this role. And I think the group can be interesting. I except this Wardlow part. I don't know how they can be an enjoyable group with Wardlow. Even Wardlow, like the way Adam said it so clearly, um, Wardlow should have just started beating them up then. It was so stupid and transparent and, and dumb. Right. He's just kind of like, yeah, no, totally. I'll I'll win the title and then just give it to you, which was the whole yeah. reason he broke away from Max in the first place. Well, yeah, and then, and then you have this thing of like, wow, I didn't like that that was said, and now I have to realize, oh, wait, that means I have to watch a a heavyweight title feud that I I I think is 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 based on a dumb idea, which is I'm gonna have to sit and watch like a month long feud with Wardlow and Samoa Joe, where the idea is they're acting like Wardlow is gonna give it to Cole. Who the fuck wants to watch that? Well, what's also to again steal your word, like what's also ass is you <laughs> fake having. Samoa Joe is a babyface, kind of, for the last couple of weeks, having Max's back, only for him to turn on Max and be a dastardly heel. And now Joe is kind of a babyface again because the devil and his crew are going after him. Yeah, yeah. There's and uh, also uh, Bullet Club is now are now babyfaces when they're such good, like shitty heels. Well, I think they'll be, you know. They're heels, and then they're fighting bad guys. They're they're fighting worse men right now. That happens. I'm fine with that, and I'm glad you brought that up because I like that they came out. I like that the acclaimed came out, and I think, even you know, even that it's it's Roderick and and Taven and Bennett. Um, I think those three against the six other guys I just mentioned in the acclaimed and in in Bullet Club Gold. That's fun for me, and I'm fine with that. But yeah, the Wardlow of it all is is really not uh good in fact concern- it's gonna, it's gonna it, it could literally ruin the whole thing the wardlow of it all because it makes that little sense it, it's it like watching well a serious might. movie uh and like a guy has one of those you know those like big noses and glasses with the mustache things yes i think just one of the guys in a scene has that you're like this is this makes no sense at all and the wardlow thing makes no sense at all and it's gonna ruin this this feud four oh. feuds wow Orange Cassidy beat Dante Martin for the international title. Uh, after the match, Orange and Hook and Danhausen are in the ring, and Dante and Darius and uh, Action and Jerry are in the ring. And then for no reason, here's the return of Private Party, who announce all the people they're going after, including the Hardys, who they were aligned with. They're going after FTR. They're going after the Bucks. And then they don't mention... Big Bill and Ricky Starks, who are the tag champions? So, I, well, maybe I they have with Jericho. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, the match was a hell of a lot of fun, but is what it kind of is what it is. Um, I actually I love this match, and I was very happy to see Private Party back. Uh, yeah, I thought they stood in the ring a little awkward, like as as uh, all of those guys in the ring together. There's a lot of guys in the ring. But but I loved the match and I don't know man they they looked like Private Party was the first time in in a long while where I was like oh man they're they're gonna be good because they were good uh, uh, and then the Hardy showed up you know they were good when they beat the Young Bucks like five years ago 
So hopefully we follow well, up they on were that now. Thing there, you know, and and yeah, it just it again, it felt like this new year after that pay per view, there was just it was like two back to back, like oh, there's some storylines and matches here I can get into, I can get behind. Tony Storm had a great backstage thing about leaving New Jersey to go to New York. She's she's just a delight. I enjoy the hell out of what they're doing with her. Malachi Black and Buddy Murphy accept the challenge from FTR, which again we talked about this earlier. Had no idea these guys were feuding. It's an it'll be an awesome match. Is it enough for me to watch Collision live? Definitely not on DVR. Maybe I'll fast forward to get to that match. Yeah, uh, I, I did love this uh, this little preview for yeah. it though. We got Mariah May versus Queen Aminata. Uh, great debut for Mariah May. She looked like a star when she was out there. Uh, I thought she looked good in the match. She got the win, and then afterwards, uh, she uh, she's shitting on Jersey, because why not? And then Deanna Perrazzo makes her debut to square off with Mariah May and tells her to send a message to Tony Storm that she's coming for her. I thought this this all worked. This was a good debut. Yeah, I thought it was a great debut for, I mean, really all three of them, right? For everybody, yeah. Yeah, so for everybody. And and, and again, speaking on what we saw at the end of the previous match and, and then this match, I was very, uh, yeah, very excited about this. I, I love this. And the the Diana, you know, again, we are all expecting Sasha, right? To the point where I, I almost went last night um, because I thought Sasha might debut. Um, which again, these dirt sheets got to stop with like the the confidence in how they feel, because especially with AEW, like a dude will buy a ticket and go sit at a show and then be very disappointed that the person didn't show up that they were told by you know Brian Alvarez. Uh, yeah, so those guys got to lean to learn to be quiet a little more. But anyway, um, the Deanna debut made so much sense. She's from Jersey. I loved this. And it made me go, by the middle of the show, it made me go, oh, we can hold off on Mercedes. Yeah. And oh, you can absolutely hold off on Mercedes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I, I think I said, I don't remember where the fuck I said it. This show, another show, who knows? I said, you could get... The first ever AEW pay-per-view women's main event with Mercedes Monet against Tony Storm if it's built properly. And I think Deanna Perrazzo is a good placeholder until we get to that. We For get sure. a, a an, an in-ring promo with Christian and Nick Wayne and Nick Wayne's mom and Kill Switch. It was good. It went a little long. The gist of it is... Christian thanking everybody who helped him win, but he ignores kill switch and that's it. Yeah. I actually, uh, just to, just to nitpick a, a little, I liked this segment a lot. I was very happy that the crowd was going crazy for Luchasaurus kill switch. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, they, they were so crazy about him that it, um, it really made you want to see Kill Switch turn on Christian, right? Which is eventually going to happen. But I thought Kill Switch's selling of the crowd reacting to him, much like Wardlow's selling of the crowd reacting to him, you can't sit there and act like they're affecting your 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 soul and be moving back and forth like um like you're actually being pulled apart by the fans and the bad guy on the ins. It's like 
it's overacting to the point of um, you have exposed it. Like you can just sit there, you know, you can stand there and um, we can get vibes off of like certain shoulder shrugs. You don't have to uh, be moving the way he was. I, I, I thought it just kind of blew the segment a little. Which the goofiest part of it is the fucker has a mask. I, well, I think maybe he thought it's why maybe he thought he needed to move so much is because he couldn't give the facial expressions of it all. But like there's other ways. And so he's just sitting there like fighting this, you know, sh should I hurt Christian? Should I not? It's like, dude, you just gave him the title not even a week ago. So don't start questioning it now. Question it like down the road. You don't question it immediately after you fucking did it. It's just stupid. And then also Christian should have been like, why are you moving back and forth so much? Well, what's weird is on the pay-per-view, Christian like whispered Literally, something and in... like acting like he should have been grabbing his head, like demons were pulling apart his brain. Exactly. Like, that's but not like, how a crowd reaction should make right, you but here, feel. Here's, Maybe here's the thing. Point. Yeah, but here's the thing, Scott. On Sunday or Saturday, Christian's like whispering a secret into into his ear because that's why he's controlling him and forcing him to do something he doesn't want to do. So why the fuck does Killswitch care that he's not getting thanked on Wednesday? Like he's like clearly being kept prisoner. You all you don't want like the guy who's holding you captive to also praise you. Sure, sure, and but and, and again, if if it is going to distress you that much to the point where you're moving back and forth, moving back and forth, well, like then then that's your like uh, you know, Batista finally beating up the guys in Evolution. Well, they turned on him, but you know what I mean, like this. Yeah. That's the moment where you have to attack Christian. And then he didn't say, so you're like, well, whatever, this is dumb. Just like Wardlow, when you make that face of like, uh-uh, that's not how it's going to go. Well, then you need to commit and start beating up these guys because you've told everybody just now on TV that you are not going to listen to what this person just said. Takeshita beat Darby <laughs> Allen uh, in a match where Takeshita just basically beat the fuck out of Darby Allen, uh, which this is, is totally... Best. I almost... This, okay, more than the Sasha thing. I saw this match announced, and I was like, uh-oh, do I need to go to Newark? Do I need to see this? And um, I still didn't go, but while watching this match, I wish I was there. I thought it was so damn good. This match was so good that I was like, all right, Wrestle Kingdom in a few hours. Um, yeah, I thought it was magic. Both guys were amazing. I wish Don wasn't out there, especially if you say that everyone's banned from ringside. Yeah. Like genuinely, I was happy when I heard everyone was banned from ringside because I thought that meant Don wouldn't be there. And then you just put him on commentary and act like that's not ringside. But the match, woo, AEW is back. That's what that felt like, that match. It was a great match. I'll give you that. Uh, this sets up next week that we're going to get Takeshita and Hobbs versus Darby and Sting in Jacksonville. So That'll be great. Yes, so we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll remember this next week when Sting ping, pins to to clean. Adam, uh, sorry, uh, Brian Cage, Trent Beretta, Vikingo, and Brian Keith wrestled to uh, be the number one contender for Eddie Kingston's three belt championship. Uh, in the end, Trent won. I guess there was a story about Trent eliminating Danhausen during the Battle Royal. These guys are all very good. This was a very solid match. And Trent seems like the bright first guy for Eddie Kingston to beat. Yeah, I was crazy about this. Uh, 
another match that when I saw, you know, every match on this show for the most part was announced day of. And when they posted this graphic, it, it was that feeling of, you know, AEW a few years ago where you got these random guys thrown together, but you knew they were going to deliver and they were going to make the show feel like a party. And I think every time, uh, pretty much every match, uh, it, it had that old like AEW party feel where they were watching something special. And because of that, it, there was just joy in the room, you know, and, and, and even with guys like Brian Cage, like, yeah, I thought they knocked this out of the park. And yeah, Trent's the right guy making it that Eddie was like, I want to fight someone on Saturday as opposed, you know, because usually the logic is, why are you doing this whole tournament? And then just for Tony to announce that, you know, four or five guys can get an opportunity at that same thing that took a tournament, you know, but right. it's like, oh, Eddie is the champ and Eddie wants to fight. Oh, that makes sense. So, yeah, I loved all of this. Hangman Adam Page forgot what time Dynamite starts. He shows up at like 940 and is like, I'm here to kick the, the devil's ass. Uh, dude, he was on like an hour and a half prior. And you could have done that then. A lot of people did. But he's like, I'm going to beat somebody's ass. So whatever. Uh, we get Danny Garcia versus Swerve in the main event. I guess this was kind of the let's spotlight the stars of 2024. Swerve beats Danny Garcia. After the match, they go to shake hands. Swerve attacks Garcia, and then Hangman comes out. So I guess we're getting more Hangman Swerve. What'd you think of this, Scott? Uh, I I liked it a lot. Obviously, I um, I was so hyped on the matches again uh, yeah. on this show that by strong the time, match. Yeah, by the time. Daniel Garcia and Swerve were walking out. I was just like, we are so back. I was so I was so happy about about last night's show uh, in terms of like in ring work, and um, I was a little confused on the Hangman stuff. Right, I'm glad that he showed up and said I want to beat up the devil because he should be going after the devil before he goes after Swerve. Uh, but since the devil wasn't there, you go after the next guy you're mad at, which is Swerve forever. But is this the match that we need right now? I don't know. It was an awesome way to end the show because I love both guys. Um, I just kind of hope we don't get a singles match right away. Even a triple threat match, him and uh, Swerve versus Joe, you know, but I don't know. And maybe there's a way that they can do it where other guys busy them up and so they're not feuding and this was just a cool way to start the year. But yeah, it got me really hyped because I love these guys. But it just made me go, ah, you don't you don't have to do it right now. Right. Neither one of these guys can take a loss in a feud right now. Yeah, that's what it is. It's just I want I want to see the match. I want to see the feud. I don't I don't want to see neither one of these guys lose. And these guys, you know, they are so electric with each other that it's like, I don't know, use that momentum that they are able to create with each other. And, and feud with other guys right now. Like, they both really helped each other become really hot again. Like, Hangman was kind of in the dirt in some people's opinions, and I think they're wrong for that, but people were a, a bit irritated with um, the possible politics between Hangman and Punk. And this was such, like, a... 
for anyone to shit on Hangman in any in-ring capacity um, after a feud like he had with Swerve, like, he just can't do it. And so they already gave each other the rub. They don't need to continue rubbing each other. You're rubbing a soft dick now. Go go rub other guys. <laughs> well, that seems like a great segment to high spot, low you know spot. You what I'm saying, though, man? Like, like it's... Uh, yeah. They they are so good together that why not just use the fact that they're good together to like they both made each other hot. Now let's go light other other candles on, on this on this AEW cake. Agreed. Uh what's your yeah. high spot, low spot? Oh, my high spot has gotta be just you know, Tanahashi is New Japan's uh new president. And because of that, it feels like Okada might be staying. It's it, it makes me excited because I think New Japan has not been what it could be. Maybe since, if not the pandemic, before the pandemic. That's what I mean. It was definitely the pandemic, but it they might have been falling off before the pandemic. And I think someone like Tanahashi could really fix things. Um, and because he is a an in-ring talent, I think that makes guys like... Tony Khan, like it makes it easier for them to work with them, I think. Um, and I think it definitely makes it easier for him to work with someone like Triple H. So I'm just interested. It just excites me, uh, period. For New Japan, my low spot is um, Kota Ibushi, who used to work for New Japan. He doesn't anymore. Uh, he wrestled uh, Marafuji on like, I think it was either the first or the second of this year. So only a few days ago. Uh, he fought marafuji at the show was called uh wrestle universe it was a noah show for it was a noah show noah. yeah 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 and they went like almost 40 minutes ibushi walks out injured you know so a, a lot of what you see on the internet about this match if you've seen anything is that ibushi broke his ankle at some point in the match and just continued and so you got a match with a guy limping uh barely able to do anything for over a half hour. Uh, the actual truth is he came out with a broken ankle and then just made it all worse by wrestling a match. Um, I, I watched a clip of him after this match. I watched a clip of him from like two weeks ago saying that, that he has a broken wrist and a broken ankle going into this match and he's still going to wrestle. Um, I watched, you know, so pro wrestling Noah earlier before the show, they, they actually have Kota Ibushi showing up to the arena. And if you watch it uh, on their Twitter, you can see Ibushi is limping the entire way into the arena. Uh, this guy was broken. They should have never let him wrestle. He seems a bit off. Like I've seen people saying, oh, Ibushi's washed when, when, when they watch this match because they do see um, a, a guy who is like having trouble breathing and he can't even jump up up on the road. Oops, but it's not that he's washed. It's that he actually has broken bones and he has this brain that thinks he can just keep doing this. It, I've never seen it before. It's, it, it's not even like Kurt Angle. Like he's not taking drugs. He's like a broken person who just thinks it's regular. It's very odd. And there needs to be an intervention for Kota Ibushi. Oh, uh, I'm totally I'm just, pissed. Dude, it's, it's, again like so he hurt himself a few years ago to the point where from what i heard he couldn't lift the bar with his arms and they were like you need surgery and he was like i'm not getting surgery i'm gonna fix it myself 
And this is him fixing it himself. And what it seems to be is he just like continues to hurt himself. And uh, like, I don't even think he, he's not even able to work out properly. It seems. So he's like blowing up immediately in the match. And uh, it's just all so sad. It was like, again, it's not a washed moment. It's not a guy. um, Oh, he's past his prime and doesn't know when to throw it in. It's like, no, he would be great if he actually took off a year, got surgery, and healed properly. Instead, he took off a year and, like, I don't know what the fuck he did. And then he just came back with broken bones. And it's like, yeah, I haven't seen anything in wrestling like this in a while where you're like, yo, grab him. Talk to him. That's fucking goofy. Like, if I'm Tony, I'm pissed just because you – just signed this guy and now he's getting hurt in another company when he was already hurt before he even went into the ring. It's like, uh, yeah, it, it feels like a guy, honestly, it feels like, um, you know, you see it with addicts, but he's not an addict. It's like, uh, he seems like a guy who self isolates to the point where nobody knows how he's doing. And so they signed him up for this match and uh brother showed up broke broken and he don't know he's broken because he's only by himself and so like he's like like what i think i'm fine you're not all right my uh my high spot low spot my, <laughs> my i'm just trying uh my high spot is uh cody uh announced on twitter so i guess there's this group the wrestling club have you seen this thing oh man yeah that that would have been my high spot so yeah, so this is this group. It's these it's this group of kids that are like big wrestling fans. They they make it all about being positive. They were selling popcorn so that they could raise enough money to go to WrestleMania. And then Cody announced, "You can sell popcorn or not sell popcorn. I got you all tickets and and hotel, and you're all coming to WrestleMania." And that's just awesome. Uh, my my low spot. You remember WrestleMania is in Philly this. Right, WrestleMania is in Philly. I think these kids are in Brooklyn, so it's you know that'll be cool. No, it's an awesome commute. I I saw that. I think Cody's so cool for doing that, and Cody does that shit like every two weeks. Yeah, I mean this is on a grand scale where it's like a whole club of kids who love wrestling, um, going to WrestleMania. But I feel like genuinely every Saturday or Sunday. Someone is telling a story on the internet about how their child or someone in their life loves pro wrestling. And by Sunday night, Cody is letting them know they're going to Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown or having dinner with him. And like, Cody is, uh, yeah, man, you know, when you're in these positions, you can do these things. And so you got to do them. Really, really cool on him. You got to think like that. You got to. My low spot came from the AEW press conference where Tony Khan was asked about the uh, sexual harassment policy and issues in the back. And while he's answering this question, he's wearing a big furry Tony Storm hat and goofy sunglasses looking like the lead singer of Jamiroquai. And it clearly showed he was not taking that moment seriously. He should have known in advance he was definitely going to get that question from someone. And it just came across as a total void in leadership and made him look like an absolute clown. Uh, yeah, I actually, if um, if you want to be critical, right, you know, like the way, you, I don't know if they still do it, but when you watch the news, 
and like a body language person would explain what a politician actually is meaning by what they're yeah. saying. I think Tony putting on those glasses and putting on uh, that hat and keeping them there um, as long as he did um, was very much like uh, an attempt at deterring people from trying to ask serious questions. Um, I, I think like it's yeah. sort of like sometimes when a kid is about to cry and you go, are you okay? And so they like, they stick out their tongue and try to be silly for a moment because they're like fighting the truth, which is like, you know, serious and scary. Um, and I think the truth is serious and scary. And I think Tony was seriously scared. And so brother had to pretend he was silly because, um, because the moment is quite the opposite. I like that. Uh, Scott, what do you want to plug before we get at it? Was, that was really insightful. I, I got nothing else. I can't, I can't shit on yeah, that's you. That's what it felt take. like, man. I've seen a lot of like, I've seen a lot of, uh, lame dudes uh hide behind like have to hide when real shit happens you know and that felt like a lame dude trying to hide yeah i i think that make that now that i look at it from that perspective fuck that makes even more sense uh what do you what do you want to uh plug here before we get out of here i have another podcast out for smokes um other than that yeah wrestling's on fire this week right triple h has an now we're recording thursday afternoon but triple h has some sort of announcement tonight that like in my opinion it better deliver because we've had a fire ass week and i almost think that sasha didn't debut last night on dynamite because tony is kind of waiting to see what wwe does have to offer with their next few announcements you know um so he can say, oh, Sasha, because if he said Sasha last night and then Triple H has some really cool shit tonight, like, again, I, I, I'm running down all the things I thought we had to talk about this week. And the fifth thing I remembered was The Rock showed up, you know? Right. So this was a busy week of wrestling. So Triple H better have some cool news. Well, he's got, I mean, it looks like we're going to get Andrade back. We're going to get Trinity Fatu back. Like, he's got stuff lined up. Yeah, that's um, exciting. You can follow me on Twitter at WWCreative underscore ISH. I've also got uh, my other show, Rumor and Innuendo, Monday through Friday at noon Eastern. It streams on uh, on my Twitter account, streams on YouTube, all over the place. Uh, Scott and I will be back this weekend for a Patreon for the $5 tier, for the $10 tier. I did a full-on breakdown of day one on uh, for something in sports entertainment with uh, so if there's uh, nothing else for us to talk about, Scott, what do you want to tell the fine people? Wash your hands. Wash your hands.